Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpit. It's been a good three months since I was last here and the day that I picked to return <laughs> to the open air pulpit. It's wet, it's a bit breezy, it's damp, but of course it's early September. So what do you expect? It's been an incredible three months since I was last at the open air pulpit. More riots, more demonstrations, BLM really flexing their muscles, the media falling over themselves to applaud such theatrics. A couple of days ago, Astoria was uh, doing very well on Twitter concerning Charles Darwin. Apparently, when he went uh, looking for the missing link, he used the HMS Beagle, which of course he did. And the allegation is that the Beagle had colonial links, which is quite possibly the case. And therefore, because the anti-white movement is continuing to take a ground, because the white man is now fair game, the powers that be want to attack Charles Darwin. And yet go back to when he wrote uh, The Origin of the Species, he would say that the white man was the favorite race, the favorite, uh, favorite species. I think that's what he said. The white man was superior, basically. And for many, many years, nothing was said about that. When the Obamas arrived at the White House, it wasn't painted black. It wasn't torn down. Nobody said a word about Charles Darwin, and as far as I know, he's still on our money in the UK, of course. Well, the Democrats have now officially announced uh, Joe Biden's running mate, another anti-white woman who wants to take a stand for women's rights, is going to go after the uh, predators against women, I suppose, take a stand for the sisters, and yet Joe Biden one of the most notorious Democrats since Bill Clinton, always acting inappropriately uh, when it comes to women. Just go onto YouTube, it's all over the place. Young girls being touched inappropriately. Their parents looking on, because of course their parents want a shot at the top. Their parents want to be up there with the big boys. And so far, Miss Harris hasn't said a word against Biden's inappropriate behavior. Of course, had that been Trump, you never would have heard the end of it. Basically, when it comes to the Democrats, or in the UK, the Labour Party, they have one set of rules. And uh, when it comes to the Republicans or the Conservatives, they have another set of rules. It's also interesting that Kellyanne Conway, uh, Donald Trump's most loyal and longest serving aide, has had to stand aside to make time for her family. And I've said this many times over the years that if you are a working mother, you cannot have the best of both worlds. You cannot have your career and also your children. Either your career comes first or your children come first. I'm also still waiting for conservative uh, Christians, our family in America, brothers and sisters in the Lord in America, to challenge Trump uh, before they vote for him to take that picture down of him praying to John Paul II with his Catholic wife. There seems to be a great love for John Paul II. I don't know what it is. I remember going back to 2005. We'll go back to 2005. I remember seeing Presidents Clinton, Bush Senior, Bush Junior, all praying at the corpse of Pope John Paul II. Prince Charles was present. Tony Blair was present. It was a huge event. And then here we are, what, two or three months ago, the American president, this time Donald J. Trump, praying to the statue, a statue of John Paul II, one of the worst, uh, worst antichrists, 
probably over the last 200 years or so, he really did elevate Mary. And when you elevate Mary, when you raise someone's uh, status up, somebody has to be dethroned. John the Baptist would say, he must increase and I must decrease. So I'm still waiting for Trump to take that picture down from Twitter to apologize. He was forced to uh, delete one of his tweets that he tweeted uh, concerning one of his supporters uh, shouting out uh, white lives matter or something along those lines but of course there's an inconsistency when it comes to our conservative family in the US in the UK we hold our politicians as best as we can anyway to account if we had a conservative Christian leader in this country who was often themselves as a Christian or was uh, cozying up to Christians and then turning around and uh, taking a stand against Christianity or Tony Blair who took a plaque off the wall of Downing Streets, the Lord's Prayer for memory and put up some Islamic literature for memory at the time we spoke out against that we challenged Tony Blair and we would we would do so again if we were to see another conservative Christian pseudo-Christian take office and that's one of the reasons why we are non-partisan if we take a stand if we take a side and then all of a sudden you see someone like Trump or Boris Johnson praying to a statue for example you now have to defend it don't you and of course what many times what people do many times is they sidestep it they don't want to go there but we're living through fascinating times very alarming times covid hasn't really gone away there's talk of a second wave coming this autumn it's possible i suppose people are still very jittery about flying overseas uh certain countries now not only uh prescribing uh, travel but if you want to travel overseas you need to get permission from your government it's like china it's like uh, living under a communist setup well anyway i wanted to come up to the pulpit this morning i must be mad <laughs> now the rain is coming down it's quite mild incidentally for september but it's wet it's damp it's pretty miserable but i wanted to come up to the pulpit and i appreciate some of your emails and uh inquiries about yours truly been very busy over the last three months uh, stuff needed to be taken care of at home uh, and I'm, I'm still working through the book of Psalms and uh, working on future projects this past Sunday by the grace of God I was able to hit the 15 week mark working through the book of Psalms and have recorded almost 11 hours of material this will be the longest study to date without any doubt whatsoever and I'm um, having a great time working through the book of psalms so please join me 11 a.m every sunday morning as i continue to work through the book of psalms for the most part you would have thought it would be the book to go to for devotional studies to get a great blessing but as i've proven over the last 15 sundays uh that's a good parts of the book of psalms can be taught doctrinally well psalm 7 deals with king david struggling to cope with his son's uh, insubordination his son's coup d'etat and uh, David never thought in a thousand years that his own flesh and blood would challenge him would have the audacity the gall to challenge uh, him to the throne if you go back to when Queen Victoria was Queen of England at the time the longest serving monarch ever of course the current queen has outdone her 
and for many years Victoria's reign was unquestionable. She ruled it with a rod of iron and of course at the time we had empire and we gave people the Bible, we gave people the English language, we gave people law and order. And many times these BLM people would have you believe that the white man is the worst thing uh, to ever come along, but the white man gave the world modernization, civilization. I mean, the Romans began, I suppose, with law and order, as it were. Uh, the Greeks had their philosophy, which they got from Solomon, of course, and he's never credited. Uh, for Greek philosophy, some of which is way off, but some of it is found over in the book of Proverbs. And of course, morality came from Almighty God. If you go back to Adam, right through to the second Adam, uh, I will say this, that they were all Caucasian. Adam wasn't a black man. Jesus Christ was not a black man. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. But history is what it is. Alexander the Great, Darius, Cyrus, the Jewish patriarchs, the apostles, the prophets, leaders from the early church were all, nearly all, exclusively Caucasian. So before you bash the white men, just stop and think about what you've been able to appreciate over the last two, three, four, five, six thousand years. The white man went to the moon, and uh, since he's been to the moon, we all benefit from satellite television, the internet, and all of your modern gadgets, and I mean all of your modern gadgets have been designed by the white man. Electricity goes back to the white man. All the wonderful inventions that we all take for granted all go back to the white man. And I say that because I'm getting a bit sick and tired of white people bending over backwards to apologise uh, to, for the most part, angry black people who think they're right to uh, speak up speak out when they should be dealing with their own communities. If you go to America, if you visit the black community in America, they still abort more babies than the white community. And uh, the black community in America still has more babies out of wedlock than the white community. But David never thought in a thousand years that his own son would challenge him to the throne. And yet if you go back to Queen Victoria, like I was saying a few moments ago, she was very powerful for a long period of time. Many premiers came and went during her time on the throne and towards the end of her life she got very friendly with an Islamic gentleman from India and he got so close to her, nothing uh, inappropriate, purely platonic, but he got very close to her. She was very uh, friendly with him, she elevated him. He was basically her chief of staff and it caused a lot of unease in the palace and Downing Street so much so that her son, the uh, Prince of Wales, Prince Albert, said to his mother, if you don't relinquish uh, some of the powers that you've been delegating to your favourite Muslim aid, he was a Muslim from India, I will have to step in and remove you from the throne. And she listened to her son, the Prince of Wales, the next in line, and uh, he was wiring her, Downing Street were wiring her, <coughs> and after many years she decided to take her son's advice. She'd been getting closer to this illiterate from India, thought very highly of him. In fact, one uh, winter he was very ill, had a fever of some kind, perhaps COVID-19 <laughs> or something very serious, shall we say, and she waited on him like a mother would wait on her child. And she bought towels and flannels and she helped him get through the fever. And her aides were shocked that her queen, the queen, her majesty, 
was waiting on one of her subjects and that showed a level of humility from Victoria which the present Queen or previous Queens or previous Kings have never shown one of Victoria's mistakes would, would be to allow this aid of hers to build a mosque in Britain and if you wondered where the mosques in Britain came from they came from Victoria a so-called Christian leader I don't believe she was a Christian I know the wonderful story that we've all heard over the years how D.L. Moody witness to the Queen got her saved I don't believe that story it's a nice story it's always nice to hear these stories or when Biddy Graham went to visit uh, Winston Churchill and he said to Graham well I believe the Bible is the Word of God and yet uh, Churchill died a druid or you hear about American presidents going back to the founding fathers saying this Bible this book is the book of all books yes well of course it is and they said this and they said that about the Bible Christianity but it doesn't prove they were saved to begin with I mean the devil knows this book better than anybody else outside of the Holy Ghost so just because famous people past and present pay homage to the book doesn't mean they actually believe it well Victoria's son I guess came near to matching Absalom's insolence I suppose insubordination uh, and uh, it went to the, the 11th hour Victoria blinked and she dismissed her aid he went back to India and uh, he was a very wealthy man at the time he'd been paid handsomely for being her shall we say chief of staff in all but name her ladies-in-waiting her aide couldn't believe that this man from India who could hardly read or write was waiting on the most powerful woman in the world as she was at the time getting very close to her and she was the mother I suppose he never had and after many years of serving Victoria uh, she blinked she blinked and he went back to India and died probably of AIDS he was 43 44 left a wife and children and uh, he owned large parts of India thanks to working for Queen Victoria so that goes some way that goes some way I think in trying to draw a parallel uh, between David and Absalom Bertie and uh, Victoria of course no violence was used in Britain uh, Bertie was doing it through the pain the power of the pen if you think about World War II the pen was always being used day and night or Red Russia or Communist Russia the pen was always being used death warrants were being issued by Molotov Beria or Hitler Himmler what have you the power of the pen still remains a very powerful force people are scared of words in the UK you have to be very careful what you say if you offend one group they will come after you and if you offend another group they will come after you and in the end you can't say anything your hands are tied and I'm still waiting to see if Trump will do something about the LGBT movement in America if he will do something about Darwinism in America and what would he do about the role of the Catholic Church in America yes he's pro-life and praise the Lord for that but for me it doesn't go far enough to be the most powerful man in the world and to control the Senate as he does or Boris Johnson to be the most powerful man in Britain and to have a majority in Parliament comes with responsibility Boris if you wanted to could really shake this country up make it great again I don't see him doing it just yet he's still getting over COVID-19 in fact his chief of staff's father-in-law said that he's still uh, sick and may step down 
early next year. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see if Boris gets us out of the EU once and for all, takes us back to being an independent country, gives us a bill of, a bill of rights, which we certainly desperately want, and uh, what he would do with the rest of the country, I don't know. I don't expect much from politicians. I'm too cynical and I'm too suspicious, and that's why I always add a little caveat, caveat and I say, uh, yes, support your favorite, po favorite politician, if you will, if you wish to do so. Pray for them, but don't allow them to take you in. Don't allow them to pull the wall over your eyes. Trump is a uh, liberal conservative, as is Boris Johnson. And I would love to be proved wrong. I would love to stand up here uh, early next year when Trump is re-elected, and I'm sure that he will be re-elected, and eat my words and say uh, how wrong I was. Now Darwinism has been abolished. LGBT has been outlawed. How about that? It will never happen, of course. It could happen. He's got the Senate. He's got the White House. And he's got a few supporters in uh, Congress. But it won't happen. He's a liberal. He's a liberal. And Boris Johnson isn't going to reverse same-sex marriage, same-sex adoptions, which we were never asked about. It never went to the British people. Biden is far too old to be standing for office. Uh, that may sound somewhat ageist, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, to be leader of the free world is a difficult job. And yes, leaders do delegate. Even British prime ministers have to delegate. But the final push, the final decision has to come from the man at the top. Camilla Harris, Miss Harris, uh, is a hypocrite, has no interest in women or the rights of women. As Mrs. Thatcher proved, once she got to Downing Street, she pulled the ladder up uh, from behind her. And many women were uh, complaining, and still do to this day, that she did nothing for female leaders, and uh, Mrs. May wasn't much better. In fact, when Obama uh, was the American president, I think 95% of his cabinet were white, middle-class people. I think for memory, two or three black people. The Attorney General was a black man, uh, and a couple of other people whose names escape me. Susan Rice was was she NSA? I think she was NSA or the UN amb the uh, ambassador to the UN. I can't remember. And another black lady whose name escapes me. Just three black people out of a cabinet of what? 30 members of the cabinet and yet he was the first black American leader could have painted the White House black who would have challenged him nobody of course could have done this could have done that could have ripped down all the statues around America didn't say a word because he doesn't he didn't care he wanted the top job and he got the top job but let's not get too political sometimes I get criticized for being too political someone left a comment on one of my videos from a few months ago and they said this uh, we haven't been to your channel for a while and uh, you spent a good amount of time talking about politics well of course i link it into the bible i don't just stand up here and talk about politics i tie in with the bible a good preacher if he's any good is able to pick a subject from scripture preach on it verse by verse and then interlace it with historical events true accounts to make it not only more relevant, but to make it more well accepted, to show that people don't learn from history. And as somebody once said, the one thing that people learn from history is that people never learn from history. So I'm not overly political. Yes, I do read the papers every day. Why I bother, I don't know. Uh, but my main love is the Bible. 
is this book, not politicians, but the potentates of potentates. So, let's begin in 2 Samuel chapter 16, which mirrors Psalm 7. And I said after last Sunday service, or during last Sunday service, that I may come to the pulpits and uh, do this video, the first in three months, and uh, add a bit more material to the uh, Absalom incident, because if I do it uh, every Sunday, or if I was to do more in-depth studies every Sunday, it would probably run to 100 plus hours. I'm still working through, uh, through uh, the uh, book of Exodus. In fact, year before last, I sat down with Brother Martin and I said to him, do you realize that we are going to be working on a five-year project? I mean, from beginning to end. Record the uh, book of Exodus, which took me two and a half years from memory. Uh, and then Martin would do the graphics, do the visuals, which take a lot of time. And praise the Lord for Martin's uh, faithfulness. And it will take five years to record. Uh, Exodus to upload it five years and of course after that we got the book of Jonah to upload and then the book of Psalms which may never be finished if the rapture was to come so <laughs> if you want to download uh, Exodus in mp3 you can do so via Spreaker not Speaker Spreaker or you can go onto our websites where all of our messages are uploaded into mp3 format Jonah is available for download and the book of psalms is also available for download but coming to the pulpits is easier excluding some of the wild weather uh, from this morning i'm able to uh, take my time i suppose and really expound the word of god second samuel 16 the context is david and absalom absalom was probably his favorite son which is always a uh, unfortunate thing to uh, be guilty of. I was told a story last week about a friend who has two daughters and a friend of a friend was saying to me that this friend of hers <laughs> uh, is closer to her youngest daughter and she neglects her eldest daughter and the eldest daughter is always complaining to the father that she feels neglected and when I heard that I thought that was terrible and this friend of mine had a word with this woman in question about not showing favoritism uh, or nepotism which you see in politics and that's always a problematic uh, thing when politicians hire their family to work for them I don't particularly care for that of course David would also be guilty of nepotism and others in the Old Testament and this lady was uh, counseled shall we say and after being counseled gently for a few minutes she said yes you make a good point to this friend of mine and she's now trying to spend more time with her eldest and her youngest daughter which goes back to Kellyanne Conway Kellyanne Conway was forced to resign I think she's stepping down next month her daughter is all over the place because mum's never at home dad's never at home and when mother and father are both absent from the home the children become out of control and her daughter's posting stuff online apparently which caused her mother to have a meltdown either the child comes first or your career comes first you can't have it both ways and of course what normally happens the career comes first and the child comes second so I'm always thankful for the children's sake when parents step back mothers step back to spend more time with their children but the context like I say is found over in Psalm 7 and this is 2nd Samuel 16 5 and when King David came to Baruim 
Behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed, still as he came. So we know from Romans 8.28 that everything that happens, good or bad, right or wrong, uh, happens for purpose. We don't go through life hoping for this or hoping for that. If something goes wrong, if somebody says something, if somebody does something which we don't particularly like, and I'm speaking about saved people now, we know that Romans 8.28 is working in the background. How to understand that is impossible, but it is completely scriptural. And when King David came to Baruam, or Bereum, same place where David took a man's wife, incidentally. Behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed, still as he came. He sees David, David sees him, David is fleeing with his men of war, Absalom, his hot on his heels. And this guy, Shammai, has seen David, doesn't care much for David, is cursing him. And uh, what does Jude say? Those brute beasts who speak evil of dignities or dignitaries. King James says dignities, but we call it dignitaries today. And always be careful when people speak evil against those in authority. You can critique, you can criticize those in authority. John the Baptist would do so. The Apostle Paul was more polished, I suppose, was more diplomatic. But you can speak out against sin. You can critique leaders like Presidents Bush, Jr. and Sr. and Clinton uh, praying to the corpse of John Paul II, and we did so back in 2005, or when Tony Blair was in office, took the Lord's Prayer off the walls of Downing Street, put an Islamic inscription up. We wrote him about that. We complained to him about it. Or when Trump knelt down with his wife two or three months ago, was it, and prayed to a statue of John Paul II, the most anti-Christ Pope, in the last two or three hundred years. I mean, JP2 really elevated Mary up to level of deity. And I'm still waiting for American brethren to say something against it. And when that took place, we spoke out against it. So you can speak out against that type of a thing, but you need to be careful what you say, because the powers that be, Romans 13, are ordained of God. Whether it's a good leader or a bad leader, if you speak out against such a leader, make sure it's based on the scripture, not uh, based on one's personality. Maybe two or three months ago, an American comedian made a very crude remark about Baron Trump, way below the belt, and uh, he got some backlash over that, and rightly so, and he was forced to delete his uh, inappropriate tr uh, tweet. That's, sort of, that's the sort of thing that I'm speaking against. That's crude, it's rude, it's inappropriate. The same would be true of the Obama girls. The Obama girls got some uh, criticism when their parents were in the White House. Chelsea Clinton got it when uh, the Clintons, her parents, were in office. Inappropriate. Or when uh, Tony Blair was in office, his children were also uh, singled out by parts of the media and made fun of. Unacceptable, of course. But here, Shammai, son of Gera, comes forth. He's cursing. He's swearing at David. He is publicly insulting him, which is humiliating. I mean, when Bertie wrote to his mother Victoria, it was all done behind closed doors. When Downing Street were writing to the palace, all done behind closed doors. It wasn't done out in the public for the, the, uh, the, the uh, world and his wife to see. It was done behind closed doors. But this is out in the public. 
And it's bad enough that Absalom, another type of the Antichrist, was challenging his father in public. But on top of that, you've got this guy from the house of Saul, uh, who's also an Antichrist, Saul of course, coming against David, and as he comes, he's cursing as he comes. And he cast stones at David, and, at all his ser and, and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So David is surrounded by bodyguards. Every politician has bodyguards. I think the Pope has probably the most. Maybe the American president does, followed by the Pope. I think the Pope is supposed to be Christ's vicar. The Pope is supposed to follow in the footsteps of the apostles. And yet, last time I checked, the apostles never had bodyguards. The apostles never used weapons. I think of the apostle Paul, beaten, left for dead, more than two or three occasions. I think from 2 Corinthians, it says he was whipped 195 times, almost 200 times. And never once did uh, Paul take out a weapon and retaliate. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 8. This guy's got an attitude problem, as we would say. Uh, it's one thing to speak out against someone or something, but the moment you start using violence, uh, you really are on the wrong side of the Lord. John 8, John 8. Uh, John 8, 58. Jesus said unto them, Pharisees, unbelieving Jews, characters like Shammai, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, present tense, going back to I am that I am, Exodus chapter 3. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So David is a wonderful type of Christ. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Psalm 2 reinforced and repeated over in the book of Acts and uh, Romans and Hebrews and, and uh, David would say they pierced my hands and my feet who's he speaking for himself or Christ he's speaking for Christ of course and here David is on the move with his men they are being attacked physically when Christ was on the move he here or he was found here to be back in John 8 to have stones thrown at him I can't think of any where in scripture where the apostles had stones thrown at them uh, while they were with Jesus but it may have happened of course they probably were very near to him on one occasion Peter got out his sword and said to Malchus you want some of this and of course he came to arrest Jesus and Peter took off his ear so it's possible that the apostles at times were very close in proximity uh, to the potentate of potentates and as stones were being thrown at the Lord some may have hit uh, the apostles, but here it says from John 8 uh, 59 again, then took the up stones to cast at him. So it would appear to be Jesus alone, but we can't rule out some of the stones going astray. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Second Samuel 22 7. 22, excuse me, first Samuel, second Samuel. 2 Samuel 16, 7. And thus said Simai, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and the man of Belial, 
bloody man, like a bloodthirsty man. If you think back over history to some of the most notorious people, let's pick someone like uh, Pablo Escobar, one of Mexico's, uh, make that Colombia's most notorious warlords, was a very powerful, a very influential man, had the police in his pockets, had the politicians in his pocket, and had parliaments in his pockets. He knew everything about everyone, and uh, he had spotters in every street corner uh, in Bogota and uh, Cali, major cities in Colombia, and he owned everyone and everything. And of course, corruption to this day is still a big problem, not just in Colombia or Mexico, but in America, in Britain, all over the world. Money talks, and uh, as the Apostle Paul would say, uh, the love of money is the roots of all evil. And uh, if you crossed Escobar, he would just cut you down. You wouldn't mess with him for five minutes. And if you did, he would uh, get chainsaws and slowly remove your head, cut your hands off, cut your feet off, and throw you into the river where the hippos, the sharks, alligators, wild animals would kill you, would finish you off. He really was a bloodthirsty man, Bloody Mary. The most infamous leader that Britain has ever had. And you think of someone like Victoria, for the most part, was passive. Or other leaders, passive, but she wasn't. And if you came into contact uh, with Bloody Mary, she would cut you down. She would slowly torture you. She would enjoy taking you to task. Whereas Victoria wasn't so violent. And uh, this current monarch is also not uh, particularly violent. More passive. But Escobar would be a good example of somebody who was really bloody, uh, bloodthirsty, and not only him, uh, Bloody Mary, and people such as that. But David was a man of war, that is partly true. And of course the word of God said, because he was a man of war, he couldn't and wouldn't be allowed to build the temple. That would fall to Solomon. And thus said Shammai, when he cursed, he's walking, he's shouting, he's screaming, he is insulting the Lord's anointed. Come out, come out, thou bloody man, bloodthirsty man, and thou man of Belial, Belial, Old Testament term for the devil. What would they say to Jesus? Beelzebub. You are Beelzebub, prince of the flies. And of course, Beelzebub is a term of the devil, as is Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. He didn't have all of the facts. He had some of the facts, but not all of the facts. And of course the Lord was still working with David, still assisting King David. And of course Saul was an enemy of David, was jealous of David, wanted to deal with David. Bertie wasn't jealous of his mother. He was very patiently waiting in the wings to replace his mother. Uh, Charles today isn't jealous of his mother. He's patiently waiting in the wings to replace his mother. But of course, Bertie saw which way things were going. And he was concerned that if he didn't step in and step up to the mark, Victoria would relinquish more authority to her Indian servants and the palace would start to collapse. So therefore, Bertie decided to deal with his mother's uh, favoritism, shall we say, going back to the problem of having favorites. And he was able to convince her to step back, not to become any closer to this Indian gentleman. 
she was discussing state secrets with him. She was so involved with him. He was advising her on major issues. And of course, Downing Street didn't like it, and nor did uh, her son, the Prince of Wales. But Shemai 567 is publicly humiliating David, doesn't know the, uh, the whole story, doesn't know all of the details, and that's always a problem for us when we try and make a decision uh, concerning this or that. We don't know the whole story, and I spent many years uh, studying different subjects, and I constantly have to uh, remind myself that even I remind myself that even I don't know the whole story. That what I think I know, I don't always know. So you need to be careful not to jump on the bandwagon or be too quick to come to one's conclusion. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, incorrect, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And of course, David was the Lord's anointed, and he was the king in waiting. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, incorrect, thy son. Indirectly, of course, not directly. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. So always be careful if you think you know all of the facts. You don't. Escobar was a wicked, evil man. Enjoyed torturing people. Made an absolute fortune. Controlled presidents, the parliament, the police, the army. In the end, the American DEA, that's the drug enforcement agency, worked very closely with the uh, Colombian uh, military and they caught Escobar and he was dealt with 44 years of age like uh, Bloody Mary died very young in hell burning now when Mary took over from Edward her brother she was merciless she killed many people she didn't she certainly ruled in her father's stead and uh, those types of people would be guilty of being dubbed bloodthirsty but of course David would use force, but uh, reasonable, reasonable force. And of course, someone like Cromwell would also use force, but reasonable force. Nine, then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. David's, uh, David's men loved him. The apostles loved the lord. The prophets loved the Lord. Nothing wrong with loving someone who is right, someone who is holy, someone who is doing good, trying to make a difference. And of course, when somebody who is doing right, doing good, trying to make a difference, is attacked, is uh, scrutinized, is pulled down, you take it very personally. And here, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said unto the king, Why should this dead dog, dead dog, curse my lord the king? The word of God says an unsaved man is looked at as being a dog and an unsaved woman is looked at as being a pig. Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. That would have been the thing to do, of course. I mean, it's one thing to go after King David. It's one thing to attack him, to challenge him. But to do this in public, to insult David with his men all around him. They took on the Lord many a time. And never once did he say, put out your sword, let's deal with this, let's take the sword to the people. And that's when it comes, that's why it goes back to Matthew chapter 5, that as a Christian, you need to turn the other cheek. 
you can't retaliate physically and if you do retaliate physically you lose your testimony david is showing great restraint which is very unusual for those from antiquity to show great restraint if you go back to maybe alexander the great or cyrus or darius or nebuchadnezzar or the pharaohs or the caesars those guys didn't show restraint and yet here david is moving he's worrying about his own welfare the welfare of his men he's also worrying about his sons welfare indirectly and in a roundabout way shemai's attack against david is a picture of the blasphemy of the holy ghost because of course david was the lord's anointed and the king said verse 10 what have i to do with you ye sons of zariah so let him curse because the lord hath said unto him curse david who shall then say wherefore has thou done so david is being uh, diplomatic when he says that go to luke chapter 9 uh, he doesn't want his men to pull out their swords and deal with shemai and uh, like i say he's showing great restraint and uh, matthew 5 as i just said a few minutes ago you are told to turn the other cheek uh, luke 5 no make that luke 9 uh, luke 9 luke 9 uh, 51 and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up he steadfastly set his face to go to jerusalem concerning jesus of course and sent messengers before his face and they and they went and entered into a village of the samaritans to make ready for him an advanced party whenever an american leader goes overseas or a british prime minister goes overseas or any head of state goes overseas an advanced party is sent out to prepare the way basically check the security arrangements exits entrances snipers on the roofs all around to make sure that the trip goes as smoothly as is possible during normal times david would have had people that would go ahead of him to make way for him and here the lord has sent people uh, ahead of him to make sure that his reception would be a positive one and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to jerusalem well he was going to jerusalem but he was doing a detour he wanted to preach to the samaritans a despised people a downtrodden people and i said this many times over the years if you feel downtrodden if you feel disgruntled if you feel held back if you are an angry man or woman black or white asian makes no difference you need to better yourself go back to school go back to college or go to college or go to university work harder get better grades the only person that's holding you back is you of course and here the lord wants to go to the samaritans look at verse 54 and when his disciples james and john saw this they said lord wilt thou that we come on fire to come down from heaven and consume them as elias did they're like the sons of zariah king david's men but he turned and rebuked them and said you know not what manner of spirit ye are of for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them and they went to another village go back to second samuel 16. second samuel 16. look at verse 11 and david said to abishai and to all his servants behold my son which came forth of my bowels seeketh my life how much more now may this benjamite do it 
let him alone and let him curse for the Lord hath bidden him indirectly of course the Lord was allowing Shammai to say and do what he was doing indirectly uh, the Pharisees were allowed to say and do what they did indirectly of course the Lord allowed Paul to be whipped almost 200 times throughout his time on the earth and of course indirectly the Lord allowed his son to be put on the cross tortured to death of course so David is really thinking as a statesman here and he's showing great restraint which is very unusual uh, if you go back to some of the popes on the continents around the time of Cromwell leading up to probably uh, the time of Victoria I would suppose and I did an article on uh, uh, Pope Pius IX showed no restraint were merciless had people in their dungeons chained up when Napoleon's men arrived in uh, Italy to help out uh, Pius IX interestingly a very unusual uh, relationship they found people under the floorboards in uh, papal dungeons no mercy no mercy but David here is showing great mercy and he understands that Shammai is able to say what he's saying do what he's doing because the Lord is allowing him to do so did he raise up this man to publicly humiliate David to assault him I would say probably not but I wouldn't rule it out look at verse 12 it may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will require me good for his cursing this day he's looking on the right side of things he's looking at this from a positive perspective but at the same time he's somewhat self-hating he's got a lot in his mind and like I said a few minutes ago from verse 5 Baruim was a town where David took another man's wife the more I profile David the more I think about David the more I am fascinated by David and I've said this over the years, and I'll say it again very briefly, that if you are a man, you should find at least one man in Scripture that you can relate to. And if you are a woman, you should be able to find one woman in Scripture that you can relate to. So he's somewhat self-hating, but he's also humble enough and uh, careful enough not to allow this to overtake him and also to restrain his men of war. And as David... And his men went by the way. Shammai went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. This guy won't give up. This guy is probably devil-possessed. Go to Luke 9. And David wants to get rid of him. He's like a dog with a bone. And David wants to get to safety. He's tied. He's got his men of war with him. He wants to, if he can, save Absalom. And yet this guy will not let go. Uh... Luke 9, look at verse 5. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for testimony against them. Go back to 2 Samuel. That's what David is trying to do in a roundabout way. This is the Lord's anointed, and he's partly innocent concerning Absalom's uprising. A poor parent, yes, absolutely. More interested in state uh, and country than he was children and uh, other uh, personal affairs that's why you can't have the best of both worlds but here Shammai went along on the hillside over against him so he's slightly elevated to where David was he's looking down at David and cursed as he went he's cussing him out basically and threw stones at him and cast dust he wants to damage him he wants to hurt him he wants to do 
him no good. And the king, verse 14, and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. When David wrote the Psalms, the Holy Ghost was obviously anointing him and inspiring him. And when David was speaking, he was speaking for himself and Christ, of course. Uh, I think Joseph is the most uh, typed or the most uh, well-known type of Christ in the Old Testament. And then it's probably King David afterwards. Mark 6. Uh, Mark 6. Mark 6. Uh, is it 31? 31, Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, the apostles, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Go back to Second Samuel 16. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary. They're tired. And refreshed themselves there. Go to Second uh, Samuel 19. Second Samuel 19. Uh, plus my marking. Second uh, Samuel 19. I think it's verse 5. Uh, make it verse 16. Second Samuel 19. 16. Very autonomous at the moment. Second uh, Samuel 19. 16. And Shammai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was of Barum, hasted, hurried. And came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. This is a wonderful picture of reconciliation. A bit like Joseph's brothers sold him out to the Gentiles. And for a long period of time he was in prison in uh, Egypt. Wanting to get out. Desperate to get out. Waiting patiently to get out. Wasn't content particularly with the situation. And yet Romans 8.28 was dealing with Joseph. And also King David. 17. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Zebah, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons, and his twenty servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. Polygamy was tolerated throughout the Old Testament. Nearly all of the greats, even some prophets, uh, had multiple wives in violation, of course, of. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, is it? 17? 18? 17 or 18, from memory. And uh, again, the more wives you have, the more children you have, the more concubines you have, the more children you have, the more children you have, the more problems you have. Victoria had many children, uh, but of course, Albert, Bertie, was her heir in waiting. And he watched his mother as she was getting up in years, thinking to himself, when's she going to abdicate? When will she step down, like Charles, looking at his mother for the last 25 years, probably? When will she step down? When will she abdicate? Well, of course, she never will do. Victoria died in office, and the current queen will die in office. Charles will replace her. And, of course, Albert replaced Victoria. Not much really changed. In fact, if the truth were known, since the current monarch has been in charge of Britain, we've gone down, 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 down. Uh... It'd be nice to think that King Charles would be a better king, but the last two Charleses, Charleses, 
the last two Charles uh, Charles's that we've had uh, as leaders have been pretty poor Charles the first wasn't any good and nor was Charles the second I think Charles the third won't be much better either but so you think about Joseph and his brothers they all made up at the end of uh, Genesis and of course when Jesus comes back uh, he'll make up with his brethren as well 18 and they went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good and Shimei the son of Gerah fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king let not my lord impute iniquity unto me neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem that the king should take it to his heart he's desperate for mercy he has made a fool of himself he was I guess probably guilty of treason if the truth were known and he wants mercy from the king David was completely at liberty to not show mercy had David wanted to he could have been very fierce very cruel if you think about when Solomon uh, replaced David or when Solomon's son especially Solomon's son replaced Solomon he was cruel he was vicious and on one occasion Solomon's son uh, called upon his elders his advisors to step forward and advise him and the first group that came forward had been David's advisors or Solomon's advisors I should say Solomon's advisors and they gave him a level of decent advice but it was very well measured very uh, carefully uh, uh, chosen shall we say uh, politically polished I think they say and that didn't sit well with the son of uh, Solomon then he called upon his own friends who he'd been raised with and their counsel was wicked it was deplorable a bit like Absalom's counsel and uh, one of his aides said uh, get David's concubines put them on the rooftop get a tent set it all up and take it in turns or go in to the women one after the other and enjoy yourself with them and do it in the presence of the whole of Israel and of course he did so and it was humiliating for Israel to be aware of but a very interesting verse 19 uh, let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the King went out of Jerusalem that the King should take it to his heart keep your hand there and go to 2nd Corinthians one of the reasons why I don't like filming during the rain is because the pages start to stick and uh, if they stick too much or they start to get too wet uh, they start to tear very easily but this is my pulpit this is my pulpit bible and even though people are walking all around me while I'm filming uh, in the pouring rain which is somewhat bizarre <laughs> uh, it's always business as usual just yesterday incidentally I went to the local dump with Patrick to get rid of some of his stuff and uh, as we were getting rid of some of his stuff a guy jumped out of his car wearing a very demonic looking t-shirt there was a cross on the back of his t-shirt with an object hanging on a cross and I said to Patrick satanic obviously which we both agreed on and I said this to him if you were to sit down with that guy over a cup of coffee and say to him why are you wearing such a t-shirt he couldn't tell you or if you sat down with a typical blasphemer who says OMG or JC and asked him why do you say that they couldn't tell you if I was to sit down with those two girls who were just walking behind me a few moments ago uh, for many minutes trying to distract me if I was to say to them why are you walking behind me it's mushy it's pretty 
uh, slippery. It's not very nice to walk behind me. I've been there a few times myself to film from. It's uh, not very good. Uh, the, the surface isn't very even. You can slip and slide. Why not go down to the other part of the pulpit or go to the horses down there? But they want to stand behind me. If I was to say, why are you doing that? They couldn't answer it. Of course, there's a spirit in such people trying to distract someone like myself. There was a spirit inside of Shammai trying to distract David. There was a spirit inside of the Pharisees trying to distract Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Now, he just said to uh, David, please don't uh, impute iniquity unto me. Don't put my sin to me. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5 is also very interesting. Uh, I think it's verse 19. To it, meaning that, uh, that is to say, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So as of right now, according to this piece of scripture, the sins of unsaved people haven't yet been put to them. So somebody who dies without Christ goes to hell, waits in hell, Luke 16, 19 to 31, and of course the uh, great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, such are resurrected to appear in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are judged, but first of all their names are missing from the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Life, and then off they go to hell forever, and then their sins are imputed to them. Which tells me this, that here we are, what, 2,000 years on since Christ died for our sins. Even now, God hasn't yet imputed sins to anyone. He's still waiting to see who's going to believe on him, who's going to receive him. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Go back to Second Samuel. So it's interesting that Shemai, an unsaved Shemite, an unsaved Hebrew, from the family of the house of Saul, which were at enmity with David, not David's choice, but Saul's choice, would use such language. It reminds me of that text from uh, John 12, when the Pharisees said uh, he's going to die not just for uh, the sins of many, but for the sins of the entire nation. And it says that the high priest said so, uh, because he was the high priest, he wasn't aware of what he was saying. Second Samuel 19, 20. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. There's a word you don't hear much about anymore. Sinned, sin. Whatever happened to sin? Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord of the king. But Abishai, or Abishah, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shemai be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Yeah, partly so. That's what would have happened normally. I mean, Solomon would have just cut you dead. Solomon's son would have just cut you dead. Go back to secular history, same sort of a thing. If you stood up in ancient Rome or ancient Greek and uh, made a spectacle of yourself, spoke out against this person or that person, you'd be just whipped, executed. But these guys, sons of Zeruiah, like these sons of Zebedee, are hot-headed, but they have a love for David. And these sons of Zebedee had a love for the greater David, being Christ, of course. And David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? 
that ye should be, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me, enemies unto me. Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. Let's have an amnesty. Let's kiss and make up, as <laughs> we used to say when we were kids. Kiss and make up. Let's clear the air. Let's be reconciled. This is very much in line with Matthew chapter 5. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. You get cussed out. You get cursed at. You get insulted. Take it. Take it. Don't retaliate. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's very difficult. Maybe three or four years ago, we were preaching in Hastings. South Coast. A very uh, difficult town to work in. The town of Alistair Crowley the most wicked man of his generation. In fact, even uh, Mussolini banned him from Italy. How about that? Mussolini, a pretty wicked man himself. And uh, we were preaching around Hastings in the town centre. And uh, we arrived one morning, got our boards up, and I put one of, my, one of the boards outside this shop, not right outside the shop, but quite a distance from the shop on the street basically and the shopkeeper came out and he said get your board away from my blankety bank shop you're stopping customers and coming uh, from coming into my shop and I said to him no there's no obstruction the board isn't right outside your shop it's near your shop but it's on the highway the king's highway this book is about a king and a kingdom this book is about a monarchy there's no elected leaders in this book they're all appointed uh, starts from heaven, then it starts, or then it degenerates down to the state, picking their own leaders. But anyway, this shopkeeper said to me, uh, get your board away from my shop. I said, no, it's on the Queen's Highway. It's now the Queen's Highway, of course, it was the King's Highway. And then she took over from her father. 1952, 53 was it? So since then, Britain has declined, like I say. And I said to this guy, no, the board is going to stay where it stays. This is uh, the this is public highway basically this is uh the street not your shop and he came out and he got very close to me and i was ready to go i mean i'm ashamed to say that but i was ready to go and uh many times over the years i've had to really restrain myself i'm not violent uh by nature i'm pretty calm i'm pretty collective i try to diffuse situations i guess i'm a peacemaker uh by nature but doing street work and people trying to stop me doing street work or making a video from the pulpit and people walking behind me or walking towards me. I've had many people over the years walk up to me when I'm filming <laughs> and start having a conversation with me. It's very off-putting and I have to stop what I'm doing sometimes and be polite and then, and, then, uh, and then go back to filming. And of course, if I've got a tract on me, and I normally do, uh, like this one, I will hand it over to such a person. Well, this guy wanted to get into a fight with me and I nearly got into a fight with him. And then Patrick came over and diffused it. But here he says, uh, For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. A great picture of a sinner being reconciled to the Saviour, of course. Uh, Therefore, behold, I'm come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord of the King. Reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. But again, 22 david says to zariah and co what have i to do with you you sons of zariah that you should this day be adversaries unto me i don't want to get into an altercation with shammai or you and i don't want to get into an altercation with the shopkeeper 
in uh, Hastings. Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? He's asking it, but it's also a, a, a rhetorical question. For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. I'm back on the throne. Absalom is dead. I am now top dog again. I'm going to sit tight until Solomon replaces me. I don't want to put anyone to death. Yes, I could have done so had I wanted to. Cromwell could have put people to death had he wanted to. He was very merciful. Uh, Buddy Mary, on the other hand, was not merciful. And nor was King Henry VIII. Very unmerciful. King James uh, the sixth of uh, Scotland was merciful. Yet you go to the continent, the Catholic continent, a different ball game. We go to the era of the Inquisition. No mercy. If you crossed uh, the Catholic Church, you were put to death. Look at 23. Therefore the king said unto Shammai, Thou shalt not die. And the king swore unto him. Well, the king's word was good enough for anyone, and it still is to this day. I guess if the Queen of England said something on camera or wrote something down, you could trust it. Uh, and I guess a leader anywhere, for the most part, if he or she was to say something, you could probably take it to the bank. Maybe the Russian president would be somebody who you'd be, who you'd be a bit more uh, cautious about trusting, or the Chinese president, or some of the uh, former communist or current communist leaders, you wouldn't be so quick to trust because they have no morals. They have no uh, standard to go by. They are atheist. Of course, uh, Putin is a Russian Orthodox, which is a form of Catholicism. He's very superstitious, incidentally. But it's interesting to go back to the uh, call to uh, censor Darwin due to his trip on the uh, Beagle, desperately trying to find the missing link which they're still desperately trying to find and will never find because there is no missing link. Man was made in the image of God. And for many, many years, Darwin uh, and his star would rise. Every school in this country, every college in this country, every university in this country will teach evolution like it is fact. Wouldn't dare question it. Wouldn't allow creation to be taught alongside it. And I'm hoping and waiting to see if Trump, uh, when he gets back into office, uh, January next year what he would do with evolution would he throw it out would he cancel it or LGBT will he put it to the people in America to have a vote about marriage what it is what it is not and the Church of Rome will he censor them I somehow doubt it so so far so good second uh, second Samuel 16 and 19 David deals with Shammai a disgruntled character who took it upon himself to insult David publicly, threw stones at David, cast dust at David, which of course, if dust gets into your eyes, it's pretty painful, of course. And on top of that, David's men are with him. Just say the word, your majesty, we will take care of Shemai. And of course they could have done. And David would restrain his men. Uh, Jesus would restrain his men concerning these Samaritans who wouldn't believe on him. And you would have thought, at this point, it's all good. We go to First Kings. Because David is a very controversial, very colourful character. And like I say, he's fascinating to profile. If you are a brother in the Lord, like I say, you can find at least one man in Scripture that you can relate to. And if you are a sister in the Lord, you can find one woman in the Scripture that you can relate to. First Kings uh, 2. David is now older. He's about to pass the baton to uh, Solomon 
Absalon has come and gone and uh, another uh, son of David Adonijah who thought he would replace uh, David was put down pretty brutally pretty quickly uh, when it was made clear to David that Solomon uh, and his claim to the throne was being questioned and uh, Adonijah was put down uh, Absalom was put down but now David is about to pass the baton like I say to uh, Solomon who starts off well but ends bad or you think of uh, King Saul starts off good uh, ends bad or Saul of Tarsus starts bad ends good there's always options as to which way people go you can go this way or that way you can be a good leader and always be a good leader you can be a good preacher and always be a good preacher you can start to uh, deviate you can start to go down the wrong track was it last week Israel now have relations with the UAE United Arab Emirates flights are taking off daily from Tel Aviv perhaps Jerusalem uh, no, it'd be Tel Aviv, there's no airport in Jerusalem. From Tel Aviv to uh, the UAE, Israel's getting closer to the Arab nations, which is a violation of the Old Testament. In fact, I thought this, when uh, Jared Kushner flew to Israel last week to witness planes taking off from Israel to uh, Arab countries, I thought, but Jared, aren't you an Orthodox Jew? Don't you believe the Tanakh, the Old Testament? Doesn't it say that Israel wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be numbered? with the nations doesn't it say that the nations are drop in the bucket so this is the the nonsense of being a so-called orthodox jew which he is along with his wife keeping the sabbat the sabbath as they do and yet violating large chunks of the old testament israel shouldn't be numbered with the nations israel shouldn't be a part of the united nations and israel shouldn't be doing business uh, with Arab countries, Gentile countries. But of course, Kushner picks and chooses which parts of the Old Testament he wants, as do Catholics, which parts of the New Testament are they want. Yes, I'm in favor of peace or a level of peace when it comes to Israel and her neighbors. But the more chummy, the closer Israel gets to the Gentile nations, the more she will compromise. And the more she compromises, the more she turns from Jehovah. And in the end, you've got a secular country, which is what you've got today in Israel for the most part. And yet, they want to keep their feast days, they want to keep the Sabbath, most conservatives that is, and yet outside of the Sabbath, outside of the feast days, there's no difference between secular Israel and their Islamic neighbours. First uh, Kings 2, First Kings 2, look at verse 8, David speaking, And behold, Thou hast with thee Shemai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Barum, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanam. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put, it, I will not put thee to death with the sword. He's still thinking about Shemai. He's moments from death. Saved men, obviously, he knows the Lord. But here... He says, don't forget Shammai, son of Gera, who cursed me with a grievous curse. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword, which he did promise. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, 
and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whole head bring thou down to the grave with blood. The last word out of King David's mouth before he dies was blood. He's still holding a grudge against Shammai. Yes, he forgave him. Yes, he honoured his, his word to him. He swore to the Lord he would do so. But as he's handing the reins over to his son, he's still thinking about Shammai. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man. The wisest man in the world, like I say, most of his knowledge, philosophy, was copied by uh, Greek philosophy. And yet to this day, most students are taught about Greek philosophy, but not Hebrew philosophy. And knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, like nudge, nudge. You know what to do, my son, don't you? But his whole head, like white, grey, I guess he's up in years now. This is 20 years after the incident, incidentally. But his whole head, bring thou down to the grave with blood. Make sure you deal with him. And of course, as David would depart, and uh, Solomon would uh, replace his father David, he puts Shimei under house arrest, which he violates and he's challenged and I think he gets one more chance from Solomon and that doesn't seem to uh, do much for Shammai and uh, as a result Solomon has him put to death but the last word from a saved man's mouth was blood interesting because by his shed blood we are saved we have forgiveness through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. Again, David was speaking for himself, and yet the words coming out of his mouth are inspired by the Holy Ghost. He's speaking about Christ, he's speaking about himself, he's living for himself, he's living for Christ. Christ is experiencing things through David. David is experiencing things through Christ. You can't separate them. Going back to Psalm 2, Thou art, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Well, of course, when that was written a thousand BC, David was the king, was the youngest of Jesse's seven sons. Christ was yet to be born, and yet Psalm 2 is picked up in Acts 13. And also John says how Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And I spent four Sundays exegeting Psalm 2. So I guess if I was to sum up this message, and now the sun is coming out, typical, <laughs> I would say this, that David is a wonderful example of a man who loves God, is saved, is heaven bound. He wasn't born again, David. The new birth is a New Testament doctrine, but he was saved, of course. He had the Lord's imputed righteousness, going right back to Adam and Eve, of course. But he had the old nature, the old man. And as he was about to die, he's briefing Solomon. And he says to Solomon, deal with Shammai. Yes, of course, David knew that Shimei could be a thorn in Solomon's side and therefore deal with him, but he's quite clear he wants Shimei put to death for his uh, treason against David. No forgive and forget. No, let's, well, let's bury the hatchets. Again, two different dispensations. To start off with, David is mirroring a New Testament Christian. He's restraining his men, he's turning the other cheek, which we should all do like I had to do in Hastings a few years ago, and it came very near to getting into blows with this shopkeeper, or Cambridge, the following year. We had this town atheist who kept coming over to us every day, 
trying to uh, get in uh, get in our faces, distract us, and that almost came to blows as well. I had to be restrained again, um, and I didn't thankfully, nothing came of it thankfully. But David, over a period of time, is still bitter, still not completely over the incident with Shimei. He's still humiliated, scarred by the insults. I think it was John Knox who would clash on many a time or during many occasions with uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. And she hated Knox and he hated her. And yet somewhat bizarrely, the two became, I won't say friends, but the two came to a mutual respect for one another. And he would insult her publicly and he would write about her many a time. And those words stung because words hurts, of course, going back to the BLM movement. They get upset very easily if you start to criticize them, if you start to show them errors in their own communities. They say you are a racist or you are homophobic or you are sexist or you are a misogynist or whatever, what have you. And yet two days ago, I saw a clip online of a black man shouting and screaming at a white couple having a dinner somewhere in America. And the language was atrocious and nobody has condemned that type of behavior. He was anti-white. He was, he was uh, inciting uh, racial hatred towards this white couple, just having a meal, minding their own business, and he was able to do so and get away with it. But David is holding a grudge, always a dangerous thing. It's building, and as he's about to leave this world, and he'll come back for the thousand year reign, uh, mark my words, he still wants this guy dealt with. Old nature, old man, that's why Paul would say, if I go to Romans 7, the greatest man who ever lived, the greatest Christian especially who ever lived, and he would say over in uh, Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, wretched, that's a pretty powerful word that, wretched man that I am, uh, what I want to do I don't do, and what I want to do, I don't do. Romans 7. A wretched man that I am, 724. Who, not what, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. There's your new birth. The spirit is born again, of course. But with the flesh, there's your old man. Kill him, Solomon. Take his head down to the grave, his whore head. Moldy and musty, deal with him. But with the flesh, don't let him live much longer, my son. You are a wise man, my son. Deal with him. Avenge him for me, basically. But with the flesh, old man, the unregenerate part of mankind, or the born-again man, to be more, uh, more precise, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So David and Paul are very similar in how they dealt with this or that. Only one occasion would Paul say, I wish they were cut off. Those that were preaching another gospel, in fact, go to uh, Galatians. That's the only time I can think where Paul <coughs> is uh, similar to David. Uh, I think it's Galatians 3. Paul was very upset about false teachers. Uh, 
going around trying to uh, trouble people. In fact, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 12. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you, cut off concerning death to false teachers. Deal with Shemai, deal with his forehead, take him to the grave, deal with his blood. And of course, 25 years later, after the original incident, Shemai was put to death by Solomon. The Apostle Paul's condemnation concerning false teachers is still to be seen. The Lord is still holding back judgment, hasn't yet imputed iniquity to the sins of the world, but one day he will do so. So David and Paul, both saved Jews, both chosen by the Lord, both were attacked. David as a king, Paul as an apostle, both wanted vengeance. Of course, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay it. And it came when it came, but apart from Galatians 5, uh, 12 and First uh, Kings 2, 8 and 9, I can't think of anywhere else in scripture where David and Paul line up uh, so closely. But what I can uh, say for sure is that they both had old natures. And like I said, the last thing that David would say to his son, or the last word that would come out of his mouth was blood. It's funny how the Bible is laid out. The last word in Genesis uh, 50 is coffin. The last word in uh, Malachi is curse, curse coffin, curse death. Uh, and the last word out of David's mouth would be blood. And of course, through his shed blood, we have forgiveness, even the forgiveness of sins. So you've got a cursed coffin. Christ died a cursed death without the shedding of blood. There was no remission. And yet David could have been rejoicing in his salvation, but unfinished business. And Paul too, happy to meet his maker, finished a good, uh, finishes, uh, finished his uh, course, finished his race, fought the good fight, and yet he's still wanting justice and vengeance uh, dished out to false teachers. And like I say, the Lord will deal with such people when he is good and ready. So I think I will start to wrap this message up. Uh, I think one of the reasons why a lot of Bible teachers sometimes overlook uh, the complexity of the two natures of the believer is due to lack of Bible reading. I read the Psalms every day and I have been for probably three or four months now in preparation for the recording of the book of Psalms and I'm getting all the cross references in place trying to work out how they all fit and I'm seeing time after time uh, from creation to Calvary from Calvary to uh, the end of time, how we're all basically the same. Yes, God will dispense grace differently, we all know that of course, but mankind is basically no good. And that's why uh, all of the glory goes to God when it comes to our redemption. We can't save ourselves. And even after we are saved, we're still kicking against the will of the Lord. David wanted blood and he got it. 
20 years later. Paul wanted enemies of the cross to be cut off, and that would happen one day at the great white throne judgment. If you are passive all of your time, all of your life, if you have no issue with this or that, you just roll along with the, uh, roll along with the world, and you never find yourself feeling uh, torn up inside, or you never lose your temper like ever, something is wrong with you. Uh, you should have plenty to be uh, grieved about, upset about, and uh, if you're not grieved or upset about something some of the time, then either you're not saved or you really are in a backslidden situation. So I think I'll close it there. Uh, study David, if you get the time and the chance. Study Joseph as well, and also Moses. Uh, those three guys are all fascinating, all made bad choices. Uh, Moses, a murderer, Joseph, a liar, and of course David, not only a serial adulterer and fornicator, uh, but a man who held a grudge, wanted uh, Shemai uh, dealt with and he wanted him to be avenged. And of course his son, his son Solomon would do that. Uh, many years later. Fascinating time. And uh, the Old Testament is still not only neglected, but I think a lot of teachers today, Bible teachers today, don't know much about the Old Testament. So they would read it regularly, would get some great sermon outlines, and uh, it would really open up the New Testament as well. So please join me this coming Sunday when I go back to the book of Psalms, week 16, hour 11. And I will probably do one more Sunday looking at the seventh psalm. And then we get to Psalm 8. And I think possibly, maybe December time, I will have the first 10 psalms recorded. And also, our brother in Spain is still sick. And uh, Lord willing, he will be discharged week after next. We are hoping he will be. And we give you thanks for your prayers. Uh, those of you who have been praying for him once he is discharged and is able to recuperate. Uh, and get back on his feet. We hope to do an outreach, probably late autumn or early winter, but more likely middle winter. Could be as late as December. We will see what happens with the COVID restrictions. Planes are still grounded, as many of you know, and the streets are still deserted, as many of you know. And people are still panicking and worrying about catching COVID-19. And the chances are the chances of you catching it are still quite low and getting sick low and dying even lower. John MacArthur, incidentally, uh, has, been, has been a poster boy over the last month or two, defying the governor of California, opening up his church every Sunday, thousands flocking to see MacArthur. And he's right to do so, incidentally, I think churches should reopen and uh, have their services. But he made one statement, which I thought was a little disingenuous. And he said this, he said, uh, well, we believe eternal damnation uh, is more important than temporary sickness and death, which he's, he's absolutely right to say so. And we have to be open uh, for people to hear the gospel, get saved. But I thought, but John, you don't believe that. You believe in predestination. You believe that God has already chosen his elect before time began. So whether your church is open or closed, it makes no difference. God's elect people are going to go to heaven whether your church building is open or closed. And sometimes Calvinists uh, say things which uh, doesn't quite make a lot of sense and they have to dress up what they really believe. If he was to say what he really believed as a five-point Calvinist, he'd have a lot of enemies. So he picks his words very carefully. 
but he's partly right when it comes to churches being open to break bread, to pray and worship together and hear the word of God. I'm completely in support of that. But don't make out uh, or don't make the arguments if you're a Calvinist that because your church is closed, people can't be saved. Because that's not what you believe as a five-point Calvinist. People get saved based on Calvinism's, Calvinists' definition of salvation uh, based on uh, predestination. The Lord will choose them. This person, that person, and that person, and anyone else isn't going to be saved, is uh, predestinated to be condemned upon death. So be careful what some of these celebrity Christians say. Uh, it may sound all very nice and uh, good to hear. Yes, those churches should be opened to get the gospel out, but they don't believe in the gospel. Their form of salvation is based on philosophy, going back to the problem of Greek philosophy not Hebrew philosophy. But anyway, Lord willing, we will do some outreach later this year if things start to improve. And if we do, we will, we will be uh, requesting your prayers for such an outreach. But in the meantime, keep our brother in Spain in prayer, please. Keep, keep our ministry uh, in prayer, please. And uh, keep us in prayer as we work through the book of Psalms. And Lord willing, I will back to the pulpit shortly. And uh, hopefully the weather will be a bit more favorable and uh, less distractions. And I thank you all in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Maranatha and Amen.